Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Chris Reed, and I'm your host. And I want to start this week's episode with a question. What if I had the flu? And I didn't have the skill to initiate communication to ask someone to take me to a doctor, and I couldn't drive. If that happens, I'm going to have a problem. Another example, imagine someone else manages my money, and I need money for groceries. I've worked with adults who have empty shelves and refrigerators in this situation. Their family thought that they would tell them that they needed money. The adult knew that she needed money but assume that others also knew and didn't initiate the request. Initiating communication is a critical life skill for our students. I talked in last week's episode about why initiating communication is so important for students with autism and other disabilities. I consider it one of the most complex and important parts of teaching communication. Students with autism in particular often have difficulty initiating any action. And there's a wide variety of reasons about this related to how information is processed and their perception of social interactions and social knowledge. And those resource reasons are really too intricate to cover in this podcast. And they really aren't as important for what we do about it, what the process is for teaching our students to initiate. In today's episode, I'm going to share steps for creating opportunities and teaching initiation of communication to your students. It's a really critical skill in basic issues. How do I know a student needs help with an assignment if she doesn't tell me? What if a student's in pain but doesn't let us know? Uh, imagine a student who had ants in his shoes after recess and didn't tell anyone that he was being bitten and needed help. No one knew until he got home and his mom took off his shoes. His teachers had no idea because he didn't show any signs of being in pain, but he also didn't initiate that he was hurt and needed help. These are all real life situations that I've seen and part of why teaching initiation is such a critical skill. So I've got a free poster that you can download, not even in the resource library, it's just in the post, and you can find that and the transcript. You can read the blog post at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 60. I can't believe we are already on episode 60. So thanks so much for joining me and let's get started. Communication initiation takes a variety of communicative functions. It includes initiating requests, initiating protests, asking for assistance, initiating conversation, and more. Initiating communication is also a lifelong skill that's critical to independent functioning. 
I'm going to talk today about the steps of how we teach students to initiate in communication. I'm going to share some strategies that go by many different names. And while there's differences in some of the application of different fields, the essential elements are basically the same because as I like to say, good teaching is just good teaching. You'll see it described as communication temptations, situational sabotage, natural environment teaching, incidental teaching, pivotal response training, and probably a lot more that I haven't even thought of. But the focus, again, is all the same. To create an opportunity that motivates the learner to initiate communication to get something. Your first step is to choose what the language skill or function that you're going to focus on is. You know that you always have to have a well-defined target behavior to teach a new skill. So do you want him to request something that he or she needs, to comment on something, to say, I see a dog before you turn the page of the book? Do you want him to initiate a greeting? The situation that you're gonna set up is gonna depend on what skill you want to address. Typically, I start with requesting something that is very highly desired. If your student isn't asking for the things he really wants, then it's unlikely that he's going to initiate comments or conversation. And choosing the highest motivating activity is going to be key to get the initiation going. And keep in mind that this is where we start. We can modify over time to move from initiating those requests for highly desired items to initiating conversation and initiating other functions of communication. But requesting is where we start because it's highly motivating and reinforcing. Your next step is to decide what form of communication you are going to accept. Do you want to get one word for a request or do you settle for a gesture? For some students, handing you the bubbles to open would be sufficient to indicate that they're trying to communicate. For others, you might want to say, I want a turn with the bubbles, or I want more bubbles, please. You want to determine the type of communication that you're going for, making sure that you've got the needed supports like picture cards or programmed speech generating devices and then encourage that. And I would say that a good rule of thumb is to start with where the student is now. If he or she is nonverbal, start with a gesture or a speech generating device or a picture. But if he's verbal, but he's still not initiating, a combination that we often see in students with ASD, you might start with visual cues and one word. Or you might even start with a picture and move to a word after that, depending on the student. Knowing what form that you're gonna accept ahead of time is really important for a couple reasons. First, it allows you to know when you're gonna reinforce the student when he initiates in that way. And so it helps you know what you're aiming at. But second, it makes sure that you can communicate that information to all of the staff and the family and the people who interact with him so that everyone reinforces it everywhere he is. Number three is probably one of the most important steps, which is to create the motivating opportunity. Find something that captivates the individual's interest or something that he or she needs at that moment. You might want to do a reinforcer assessment, and I've got a link for that in the blog post, to figure out what's motivating. And I talk about in episode 25, autismclassroomresources.com, episode 25, 
how you have to sell reinforcement, not just offer it. That's going to be really important here because you have to heighten your affect, make it really exciting to make it interesting. I've got a link to a blog post by Practical AAC that gives an excellent example of turning the heat on in a car in Florida to motivate the communicator to ask the driver to cool it down. So don't think that all the examples have to be giving something to the student. Another one is giving small portions of something that's desired or needed. I tend to run snack in most classrooms in that way. So for instance, you could also even take a a riff off of that, give a really salty snack and then hold back on the drink or only give a little bit of the drink so that they have to ask for more. Wind-up toys are great for communication temptations for student, young students, and sometimes for me because I seem to collect them, especially if they can't wind the toy up or spin the top by themselves. And that creates a natural opportunity to communicate in some way to get more assistance to make it go again. Bubbles are another one that we use a lot with young children for teaching open or help or more, um, or just requesting bubbles. So there's lots of things that we can do to create those communication temptations, as Barry Prezant calls them. Once we've done that, our next step is to wait expectantly. I talked about this in episode 54 when I started talking about communication on the podcast. This is most definitely the hardest part. I think waiting is the hardest part of any kind of teaching, but it's also what creates the opportunity for learning. And in initiating communication, it is critical. If we talk first, we ruin the opportunity for them to communicate. Waiting doesn't mean, though, that you have to just sit there. If the student isn't responding, try shrugging shrugging your shoulders in an I don't know kind of gesture to indicate that you don't know what they want and you're waiting. You could eat or play with the item in question. Mmm, popcorn is so salty. Or talk to another student about how cool it would be to blow bubbles or something similar. How much you'd like to listen to music. Or wow, I really wish it was cooler in this car. The expectant waiting is critically important. And it's about walking the balance between tempting and frustrating. It's a fine line and we have to work at finding it but if I give a student everything, he doesn't need to initiate to make that request. In the meantime, you also want to avoid asking, what do you want? Or do you want more? Or what do you see? Now, this is a preference that I have, but it's shared by the people who created the picture exchange communication system that's very focused on initiation. Because if we do that, then the student is answering a question not initiating a request. We're teaching him to wait for us to ask, and we're going to have to fade that cue out over time. So we want to be careful about that. And if you want a reminder to post in your classroom to help everyone remember to wait for communication, there's one that I think I shared in episode 54, but there's another just free keep calm and wait expectantly poster uh, that you can download in today's episode post. The next step is to give a prompt if if it's needed. If the student doesn't initiate at the level that you want, model what you want him to to do or to say, or physically prompt them to give you the picture or the item to open or whatever. Try to avoid asking them, what do you want? 
The key again is to balance their discomfort or frustration with the learning. The key is to jump in before they get too upset and then give the prompt. So again, it's a tightrope of trying to push them out of their comfort zone and others anticipating their needs, but not so far that they either become disinterested or frustrated. And then once they've communicated in some fashion and it's acceptable to the target behavior you started with, then you reinforce them by what they're working with or what you have, what they're wanting, what they've asked for. So if they ask you to open the bubbles, you open and blow the bubbles. If they ask for a piece of snack, you give them some. My general rule of thumb is that if you prompted the student, give him or her the item that they asked for or the response that they're looking for, but give him just a small bit. But if he initiated independently or more independently than he has before, give him lots of the desired item or a really big response. It's important to remember that it's not an all or none thing. You either get it or you don't. You differentiate your reinforcement to the response that you're getting. And it's important to recognize that you can work with this temptation, not just with things that you're giving, but activities. So, you know, if he really wants to read a book, that's something you could use. If he really likes a reaction that he gets from you, you know, it could be asking you to dance or asking you to tickle. So don't limit yourself to things. So the beauty of this system is that you're capitalizing on the individual's own motivation and they get reinforced by something that they have demonstrated they are motivated by. Plus, the reinforcement is likely to generalize and maintain because it's happening in the same way that it happens in the natural environment. The key to the independence is to make sure that there's a good, noticeable difference in reinforcement quality and or quantity when the student is independent versus just a little bit to acknowledge the response if they needed assistance. And that makes it more likely that the independent responses are going to increase and the prompted ones are going to decrease. So if you're looking for more ideas about how to teach communication to your students, I have lots of different options from a whole course in communication skills and teaching communication for all different kinds of students, not just students with autism. And we have a quick win where you can watch me channel my inner preschool teacher to model how we teach these types of communication temptations all in the Special Educator Academy. And you can try a seven-day free trial at specialeducatoracademy.com. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. If you are enjoying the podcast, definitely go leave me a review on your podcast app and share with your friends. And I hope you'll come back next week, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, when I'll be talking about three things that I think your students will thank you for specifically this year. Have a great week. 